You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. UN rapporteurs say that the Saudi crown prince was probably involved in the installation of spyware on Amazon founder Jeff Bezos' personal phone. Brazilian prosecutors have indicted Glenn Greenwald, co-founder of The Intercept, on hacking charges. IBM describes a renewed Netwire campaign, and Microsoft says Star's Lord is back too. And in cyberspace, there's nothing new on the U.S.-Iranian front. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 22nd, 2020. Two investigations dominate today's news. The first involves the compromise of a phone. The second, the indictment of a journalist. To take up the phone compromise first, Amazon chief and Washington Post owner Jeff Bezos is reported to have had his phone hacked in May of 2018 by Saudi operators. The Guardian reports that Mr. Bezos's phone was compromised after contact with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. The hacking took place some five months before the killing of Jamal Khashoggi on October 2, 2018. Mr. Khashoggi had been a critic of the Saudi government and a columnist for The Post. The Crown Prince is widely suspected of involvement with the killing, with sources as varied as the U.S. Special Rapporteur on Extrajudicial Killings and the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency reaching that conclusion. The Special Rapporteur announced the conclusion publicly last summer. The CIA's conclusion hasn't been formally announced, but has been widely reported. The details of the compromise in The Guardian's report are as follows. On May 1st of 2018, after an otherwise friendly chat session between the Crown Prince and Mr. Bezos, Mr. Bezos received a WhatsApp message from what appeared to be the Crown Prince's private account. That message carried a malware payload. Shortly after the installation of the payload, a large quantity of data were exfiltrated from Mr. Bezos's device. Where does the evidence come from? According to the Wall Street Journal, Mr. Bezos contracted with Washington-based FTI Consulting for a forensic audit of his phone. FTI concluded with medium to high confidence that data began leaving the device shortly after it received a video file from the WhatsApp account linked to the Crown Prince and that such data exfiltration continued for months. FTI Consulting would not comment on the story to the journal, which cites a person familiar with the matter as its source. The Saudi embassy in Washington tweeted that the hacking claims were absurd and has demanded an investigation so that all the facts may come out. 
An investigation is what the U.N. officials who apparently saw the FTI consulting report wants too. The Wall Street Journal reports this morning that the U.N. Special Rapporteurs on Extrajudicial Killings and Freedom of Expression this morning said, quote, Mr. Bezos was subjected to intrusive surveillance via hacking of his phone as a result of actions attributable to the WhatsApp account used by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. End quote. Those two officials were involved because of the circumstances of Khashoggi's killing and because of Khashoggi's work as a journalist. The rapporteurs go on to add that, quote, a single photograph is texted to Mr. Bezos from the Crown Prince's WhatsApp account, along with a sardonic caption. It is an image of a woman resembling the woman with whom Bezos is having an affair, months before the Bezos affair was known publicly, end quote. The source of the kingdom's interest in Mr. Bezos is widely reported as stemming from his ownership of the Washington Post and the Post's employment of Mr. Khashoggi, who had been an irritant to Saudi authorities. One of the public passages in the ill-willed dispute between Bezos and the kingdom may be seen in Mr. Bezos's February 7, 2019 blog post entitled No Thank You, Mr. Pecker, in which he explained his disinclination to accede to what he characterized as pressure from David Pecker, chief of the National Enquirer's corporate parent AMI, to call off post-investigations of the Khashoggi killing and other matters discreditable to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. What the malicious payload on Mr. Bezos's phone actually was is unknown, but the rapporteurs speculate that it may have been NSO Group's intercept tool Pegasus. The grounds for this seem so far to be largely circumstantial, based on Pegasus's known performance and distribution, and by reports of it being distributed via WhatsApp. Cisco Duo recently released the latest version of their State of the Auth report, which tracks how users are adopting modern authentication methods. Sean Fraser is advisory CISO for Federal at Cisco Duo. So I think the biggest things are there is an uptick in awareness and usage of multi-factor. And, and I think that that's kind of due to a few different reasons. One is, is I think a lot of users in their personal lives are being required to use multi-factor authentication. I mean, now if you log into a bank account or you log into Facebook or eBay or pretty much everything, anything you use online, you're almost either required or strongly encouraged to use multi-factor. So I think that's helping create more awareness and certainly more awareness in the enterprise. And I think the enterprise side is, is kind of coming at it from that perspective as well. They're kind of saying, okay, for enterprise applications, we're going to require you to use multi-factor for these things and, and not just allow you to use username and password. So we see the both of these things from from awareness to usage trending up. So they're they're not quite double from last year, but they're pretty close. Yeah, let's go through together what what you all saw in terms of the types of multi-factor that are that are most popular and how that's trending. What what did you find there? So I think we we still see the, the one of the predominant methods of multi-factor being SMS based or you know kind of one-time passcode over over an SMS channel. Uh, we've started to see folks kind of move away from that for obvious reasons. If you look at kind of the NIST guidance around passwords and authentication, they actually have, have recommended people not use SMS-based authentication just because of the the ability for someone to to take control of that channel. Yeah, let's dig into that. I mean, one, one of the things you highlight here in the report is the importance of your email account. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, that can, that tends to be the kind of the nucleus of everything that people do. If you if you're doing, a, you know, again, a password reset or you're doing some kind of account reset, a lot of times that's coming back to your email. Um, that's you know, that's going to be 
you know, part and parcel with everything else you're doing in your email account. And if someone has hijacked your email account, which is not super simple, but not a terribly difficult thing to do, they have access to everything. You know, they, they can go pretend to be you, you know, do a password reset, bypass the multi-factor authentication, get that, that reset done through your email by just saying the fact that I, you know, I don't have that device anymore, or I don't have that, that phone number anymore. So I need to, you know, and the banks want to, and, and other account holders or account creators want to be able to provide this ease of use to users, this self-service, because it helps them too. And by virtue of that, if you're not protecting an email account, you're wide open. Where do you suppose we're headed here? Are, are we getting to the point where users are willing to accept that multi-factor is, is just part of the deal, that if you want to use some of these services, you're, it's going to be required? I think so. I think more so that will happen over time. Again, I, I think that you know we've lived in this password life for you know over 20 years. We've only really seen multi-factor authentication become prevalent in our personal lives in the last couple of years. So it's really only been like the last, really last bit or last part of that. So I still think we have a couple more years to go before we've got to the point where it's widely accepted. I think, you know, part of that is is us, meaning us software developers, developing things that are super easy to use. Because, again, we don't want to add too much friction on top of what users have to do already. It's not going to be the silver bullet in the short term, but I think longer term, I do see light at the end of the tunnel for get, actually getting away from the password life. That's Sean Frazier from Cisco Duo on their latest State of the Auth report. Brazilian federal prosecutors on Tuesday unsealed charges against Glenn Greenwald, co-founder of The Intercept and best known for publishing Edward Snowden's leaks. The New York Times reports that Mr. Greenwald's role in publishing cell phone messages that embarrassed prosecutors and an anti-corruption task force is at issue. Prosecutors say that he played a clear role in facilitating the commission of a crime by being in contact with people who obtained the messages and recommended that they cover their tracks. Greenwald himself brackets his case with Julian Assange's and claims both indictments represent an attack on journalism. Few others see it this way. Mr. Assange is generally regarded as having worked actively to facilitate hacking, whereas Greenwald merely advised sources on how to remain anonymous. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, the ACLU, and other observers have objected to the charges, which they see as a threat to legitimate journalism. Mr. Greenwald has been critical of the Brazilian government and is a controversial figure in that country. There have been some announcements with respect to new threats or perhaps familiar threats now renewed. IBM's X-Force researchers have found a new phishing campaign that uses fake business emails that deliver variants of the Netwire remote access Trojan. Netwire first emerged in 2012. This particular campaign looks like the work of criminals out for financial gain. And there's another malware strain that's been around for some time. S-Load, also known as Starslord, not to be confused with the Guardians of the Galaxy hero. S-Load is a dropper malware that can be used as the first stage in an attack to deliver further malicious code that actually accomplishes the criminal's goals. Information theft, credential theft, 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 or maybe even theft. Microsoft exposed the S-Load gang's methods last month, ZDNet reports, but the gang has adapted and is now busily using S-Load 2.0. And finally, we haven't forgotten the prospect of U.S.-Iranian conflict in cyberspace. Such concerns persist, as NPR and others have noticed. But so far, the kittens haven't been yowling or the eagles screaming, at least not publicly. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. 
your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He is the Program Director for Public Policy and External Affairs at the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. He is also my co-host on the Caveat Podcast. Uh, Ben, always great to have you back. Thank you, Dave. Uh, We've got a uh, fun privacy story here this week. This is a story uh, from Motherboard. uh, And uh, the title is, uh, This secretive surveillance company is selling cops cameras hidden in gravestones. Written by Joseph Cox. What's going on here, Ben? I just, I can't get enough of the story. <laughs> it's so good in so many ways. So yeah, okay. there is a surveillance vendor who works with many U.S. government agencies, all of your three-letter agencies, FBI, right. DEA, and ICE. Okay. Uh, and they, there were marketing materials that were leaked to uh, Vice and Motherboard indicating some of the spying capabilities that this company has. One of those spying capabilities was to put a hidden camera or a hidden recording device inside of a tombstone. Uh, (laughs) Another one was a camera inside a baby car seat. And a third one was a surveillance device in a vacuum cleaner. Uh, All of these are beyond bizarre just because... They're almost like it almost seems like it was created from some sort of comedy bit and not for a legitimate surveillance purpose. Yeah. Uh, But to make it better, you couldn't make up a shadier sounding group. Nothing against the special services group, which is the vendor behind these products. Uh But their logo is the floating eye in the pyramid logo, which I don't know if you've seen. (laughs) What was that movie? Where there was like a whole conspiracy about how the backside of our U.S. dollars, yeah. which contained that pyramid, were some sort of hidden signal for something. Right, right. It's it's escaping me at the moment. But the fact that they have these rather absurd surveillance devices in some of the most bizarre places imaginable 
they have this name and they have this logo. It's just sort of the full package of <laughs> so this surveillance is, insanity. This is tickling your funny bone from many different directions. It is. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, there's a serious side because yeah. like many other secret recording devices, this is part of the pervasiveness of our surveillance state. Okay. Uh, let me play devil's advocate here because I guess good what, role to play. What, what, now you're the lawyer. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know what. Yeah, playing devil's advocate in a cemetery. I don't know. But um, the first thing that came to mind for me in a situation like this is an episode of The Sopranos. Wow. You know, right? You got a bunch of mobsters. Somebody's been whacked. Right? How are you gonna? How are you gonna to surveil and see who was there and what they said and. You know, uh, I don't know. Johnny Dollar got uh, you know got dropped. Uh, um, so I could see this being a useful thing for law enforcement. It, it's just going to blend in. Is it absurd? Yeah, but I guess I mean the, the history of surveillance and the FBI and the CIA is chock full of clever ways in which to hide recording devices. So yeah, I think actually the the position you present is entirely reasonable. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure a lot of the places we've, uh, law enforcement has placed recording devices probably seemed ridiculous when they were first proposed. Uh-huh. The vendor is probably introducing this product in response to some sort of demand because there aren't a lot of people who go to cemeteries at night for legitimate reasons. It's probably a place where people gather to engage in illicit conduct. And there you would have law enforcement justification for putting recording devices there. Hmm. You can certainly think of a million different reasons why you'd want to have a recording device on a child's car seat, you know, yeah, especially yeah. if you were engaged in some sort of tracking of a potential child predator or, you know, you had some individualized suspicion about a parent or something. I mean, you could certainly imagine what law enforcement's interests would be. It's just, you know, when you put it in the terms of they're putting recording devices in our gravestones, it just sounds like <laughs> something that the crazy person on the street would make up as part of right, a, yeah, right, right, yeah, a crazed rant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think also, I think it speaks to that general creepiness of are there no spaces that are in this case literally literally sacred? sacred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now you know. I think our most sacred place is our home. Our home is our castle. Mm-hmm. Our next most sacred place probably would be our gravestone. I mean, it is our... Maybe a house of worship? A house of worship, which certainly surveillance has taken place within houses of worship. Right. I think that's right. Uh, a given. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, this is certainly up there on on one of the places that we like to... That, that is sacred to us. Yeah. It's a place where people have a lot of private moments. Um, so even right. though there might be legitimate law enforcement purposes, I mean, imagine visiting grandma's tombstone and somebody recording that very intimate private moment mm-hmm. when you're there and you're grieving. Yeah. Um, you know, and if they just part of it is that the vendor here is just sort of hilariously cavalier about the whole thing. Hmm. So they released part of their advertisements and it's almost as if they're advertising like a smart refrigerator or something and how right. enthusiastic they're about, uh, <laughs> right. they are about it. Right. Our newest video concealment offering, uh, which has the ability to conduct remote surveillance operations from cemeteries. Yeah. Uh, so maybe a little tone deaf. It is. By your estimation. The all-inclusive system can be deployed for approximately two days uh, with the included battery. And mm-hmm. it is fully portable and can be moved from location to location as necessary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's um that seems overly enthusiastic yeah. for 
All right. Well, uh, the article is uh, titled "This Secretive Surveillance Company Is Selling Cops Hidden Cameras and Gravestones." It's uh, on Motherboard uh, via Vice. Uh, ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Vaughn, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.